this is Rob Lott. And I'm Jessica Bylander. And you're listening to Health Affairs This Week, the podcast where health affairs editors chat it up about the latest in health policy, news, and research. So, Jessica, I know in a moment we're going to dig in a little deeper on the question of healthcare staffing in the midst of this pandemic. But first, I wanted to hit just a few of the big headlines from this week. Um, so, one, um, CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid uh, Services, weighed in on Adjuhelm, which uh, listeners to last week's podcast may be familiar with. Uh, our colleagues uh, Chris Fleming and Rachel Sachs talked about uh, this Alzheimer's drug that the FDA approved a few months ago. Uh, despite mixed and limited evidence of its effectiveness, uh, some safety concerns, and uh, also despite um, an advisory committee that recommended against it. Um, so after the FDA approval, people were waiting to see whether CMS would agree to pay for the drug for Medicare beneficiaries, which are, of course, quite a sizable population and the population most likely to be taking this drug. Um, so uh, earlier this week, CMS promote, proposed what it calls a national coverage determination and said that it would only cover the drug for people enrolled in clinical trials. And this is often described as coverage with evidence development. And it's sort of the middle ground uh, rather than choosing not to cover it at all or to cover it for anyone um, who gets it. They, they've focused really on uh, folks in clinical trials. And this is, of course, a way to advance the evidence about the drug and really get a better sense of uh, just how effective and, and useful it is. Yeah, and, definitely more uh, cautious than full reimbursement for. Yeah, they're sort of sort of finding the, the middle middle ground there. And I did want to just note also that this is a proposal. It's open for 30 days of public comment. Um, and then after which, based on those comments and any any other uh, pressure they might be feeling, uh, there will be a final decision. Uh, the other quick headline I wanted to mention is that uh, also this week, the Biden administration um, announced that private insurers will now be required to cover the costs uh, of up to eight at-home coronavirus rapid tests per person per month. And um, this applies to all at-home tests approved by the FDA. And um, uh, there sort of uh, there will likely be options for people to purchase them online at no sort of out-of-pocket uh, cost, as well as an option for people to file claims for reimbursement. Uh, the big outstanding question, of course, is whether or not the tests exist, whether or not they'll be out there and available. I don't know about you, but there've, there've been some harried uh, moments trying to track down tests at various pharmacies. And yeah, I was going to say, good luck finding one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So hopefully um, uh, that, that coverage will, uh, will uh, increase access, especially uh, for uh, the most vulnerable people out there. Yeah, well, speaking of COVID-19, um, as you mentioned, we we kind of wanted to dig a little bit deeper into some of the healthcare workforce challenges posed currently during this pretty insane surge period. Um, you know, cases are higher than ever and hospitalizations as a result are higher than ever, you know, despite, 
hearing that the Omicron variant is more mild, you know, if you have more cases, there's still going to be more hospitalizations, just particularly, yeah, just sheer, pure math, (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, especially among people who are not vaccinated against COVID-19. So um, it's, it's a tough time for um, workers in general. A lot of people are out sick and particularly for healthcare workers who, um, you know, are expected to be able to, you know, staff this huge surge of new patients. So um, as many are probably well aware by now, the CDC did shorten its recommended isolation and quarantine period for people with COVID-19 or who were exposed to COVID-19. So for example, if you have it, instead of saying staying isolated for 10 days, the CDC now recommends five days of isolation. And then if you're asymptomatic, asymptomatic or getting better, and don't have a fever, you can end your isolation, kind of go back to um, regular life, but ensuring that you're wearing a mask when you're around others, and particularly when you're indoors. So, um, you know, the CDC says the update was based on the latest scientific evidence that shows that COVID-19 transmission occurs early in the illness, basically in the days before and after your symptoms start, um, and then kind of peters out towards the end. Um, But it's also meant to, you know, keep people at work and make sure they can continue with their daily lives. And actually, the agency shortened the isolation and quarantine guidelines for healthcare workers before this announcement that all people can, you know, quarantine and isolate for a short amount of time. I saw that. It sort of raised the question of like, does this, does does this disease affect people based on their profession? Right. Of course it doesn't, but it, it's sort of interesting logic. I understand why they want, want to get people back to work. Yeah. Especially in these professions. Definitely a mix of science, health, and politics and, and sort of, um, you know, the, the goal of, of keeping hospitals um, open and able to take care of all of the COVID-19 patients that were in, expected to come flooding in with this highly contagious Omicron variant. So I don't know, Rob, if you saw some of the reactions to the new CDC guidance, but um, yeah, yeah, some, some welcome with it. Yeah. Like, um, you know, mixed yeah. feelings about that. Um, yes. So I know CDC is doing what they can with such really mixed evidence, but yes. it's sort of clearly hit a nerve with some people out there who um, sense some vulnerability, I think, or some have some skepticism about this latest change. Yeah, yeah, definitely some confusion and mixed feelings about it. Um, But actually, interestingly, some places have gone even further than the CDC recommended. So in California, asymptomatic healthcare workers with COVID-19 can um, temporarily not, not isolate or even have to test negative to go back to work. And so this isn't in place for the long haul, I think maybe through February, um, in anticipation of this, you know, surge of patients, which is ongoing. Um, you know, they do say COVID-19 workers should, um, positive workers should, should try to only interact with COVID-19 positive patients, but you know, that's not necessarily a requirement. It's a, to the extent possible. And then, uh, meanwhile, a healthcare provider in Arizona, um, is doing something similar where, um, they're allowing infected workers with mild or no symptoms to keep working. 
So, you know, some are saying these moves are necessary to keep hospitals open and procedures running, but others are obviously worried that the moves will put patients and hospital staff at risk. Um, and I know, Rob, that you even this week had a had a kind of personal story related to, to these staffing shortages. And um, really, they're just the latest challenge facing healthcare workers during COVID-19, um, you know. Staff are stressed, they're burned out, some are leaving the industry altogether. So what what can we do about it? <laughs> it's pretty wild. So yeah, you mentioned my my sort of family story. My father-in-law actually had a non-emergency uh, surgical procedure scheduled um, and he, he was ready to go. They, they um, you know, gave him his confirmation call the day before and he was uh, ready to go and that morning, uh, he got a call saying that all the nurses in the outpatient surgical um, facility where he was going to um, have the procedure done um, were out with COVID. So um, it's sort of interesting, you know, you you hear about hospitals canceling um, elective surgeries. And so I, uh, my understanding is that a number of um, procedures are sort of moving to these surgical centers, uh, freestanding outpatient surgical centers. But um uh, when no one's available to uh, to be a nurse during that procedure, it doesn't matter where the procedure is being done. Um, and so that's just an N of one, but it really is um, uh, evidence that this is kind of rippling everywhere and, and really touching everyone. Yeah, and I know it's, it's definitely not just hospitals, it's pharmacies, it's the people who, you know, run the, get the results of the COVID-19 test. So it's it's across the board. Yeah. So uh, when we, we try to think about potential solutions here, uh, obviously there's no magic magic bullet. Um, some of the strategies that health systems have been using, one, one is this sort of canceling or postponing elective uh, surgeries and other, other services and care. Um, that, of course, has its own consequences sometimes. Um, uh, other uh, possible solutions uh, is expanding the sort of scope of practice for various um, healthcare professionals. And so this is basically um, waiving certain rules and regulations that maybe in the past have limited what people like nurses and uh, other uh, health professions can do in terms of engaging with patients, um, allowing folks to practice across state lines or increasing the number of people who they can care for at any given time or describing what the relationship is between um, them and and a, a doctor under which they normally would have to be practicing. So uh, when COVID hit, uh, most states sort of issued various emergency declarations and waivers allowing for that scope of practice and, and other regulations to be loosened in order to allow um, uh, more uh, more professionals to be um, able to care for more people. Since then, it's sort of been a little bit of a grab bag, crazy quilt in terms of which waivers have expired and which ones have been extended. And it depends on a state by state basis and is all tied up with lots of other state regulations around vaccines and masks and mandates. So in general, there's more capacity, I think, than if the sort of standard rules were um, in effect from two years ago, but it's still a bit of a mix. And then 
the last challenge is just getting the sheer number of people, um, no matter how many sort of patients you put on a, a nurse's caseload. Um, if there are no nurses to come in to work that day, um, you're still still in trouble. Yeah. And I know we've published a bunch on this on both the Health Affairs Journal and on Forefront, our online publication. Yeah, I encourage our uh, listeners to uh, to check that out. There's a there's a lot out there, and we've been tracking it over the course of uh, the pandemic. One interesting article I did want to point out: in April of 2020, we published an article by uh, Candace Chen, um, associate professor at the Fitzhugh Mullen Institute for Health uh, Workforce Equity at George Washington, and a number of her colleagues. the title The title of the article is "Emerging Health." workforce strategies to address COVID-19. And this, you know, you already mentioned the CDC memes, but this sort of reminded me a little bit of people posting photos of themselves in like January of 2020, sort of before they, you know, knew what was coming down the, <laughs> down the road for them. This is a really interesting article to see sort of what people were thinking about at the very early stages of the pandemic. And of course, the lessons that they recommend or the sort of suggestions for policy uh, are still relevant today, whether it's expanding the scope of practice or bringing retirees back into the workforce or obviously providing support for uh, professionals uh, who are sort of bearing the brunt and, and having burnout as a result of the of being overwhelmed here. Um, and so it's a, it's an interesting reminder that, that, you know, we're not suddenly, confronting this issue for the first time with Omicron. It's been sort of uh, simmering on the back burner for a while there for the last two years. And um, uh, I think we've learned a lot. Uh, and it's a reminder that sort of even when we think we've got those sort of policy solutions figured out, um, as a crisis continues to evolve and adapt, so do the uh, potential solutions and answers to that crisis. So it's been interesting to follow, and um, we'll throw a link to the article in the in the show notes. Well, that sounds like a good place to wrap up. Um, listeners can catch us next week for another episode. And if you like this episode, tell a friend and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Rob. <laughs>